Today on Government Matters, data as a strategic asset. The new leader of the Chief Data Officers Council tells you what's coming government-wide. The Small Business Administration in overdrive to get the economy moving again after the coronavirus. A look under the hood of one of the critical offices at SBA. And agencies extend their remote work into the summer. One of the government's top cyber leaders on locking down networks for secure telework. Government Matters starts right now. From Washington, D.C. and around the world, this is Government Matters with Francis Rose. Thanks for watching the weekend edition of Government Matters, the only show covering the latest news, trends, and topics that matter to the business of government. I'm your host, Francis Rose. The Chief Data Officers Council has a new leader this week. Federal Chief Information Officer Suzette Kent says Ted Kalk's leadership on cross-agency data collaboration makes him a good fit for the job. Ted is the Chief Data Officer at the Department of Agriculture. He's the new chair of the Chief Data Officers Council. Ted, congratulations on uh, taking this role. Thanks for joining me this morning. What's the agenda of the Chief Data Officers Council? What's your charge under the law that set the council up? Well, first, I want to thank you for, for having me on the show, Francis. It's always good to be back with you. As you know, uh, data is uh, critically important uh, for growing our economy, for thinking and actually taking action on how we improve the effectiveness of our programs and uh, for promoting uh, transparency and reducing the burden of citizens accessing our programs. So as we're forming the Chief Data Officer Council and its activities uh, this year, I think it's important to highlight uh, the excitement uh, surrounding this new cadre of chief data officers that are coming online at agencies as, as each agency was required to establish the CDO position this year. So we have some with uh, in-depth agency experience, others who are newer to government but may bring in private sector expertise. And of course, we have the benefit of drawing upon the experience of a number of CDOs who are already in place prior to the requirement. I really believe uh, these federal CDOs uh, have an opportunity for uh, some transformative work um, at USDA, we've seen the firsthand impact that delivering data and analytic solutions uh, to our leaders and field employees has on how we serve the public. Uh, through, the, through the council, what we really want to do is to create a, a supportive, collaborative environment, demonstrating the, the, the value of those positions at the agencies where they've been established and the power of leveraging data as a strategic asset, both collectively as a council and on cross-cutting public sector problems, uh, and as well as individually at agencies. So there's a, there's a lot of good work that's gone on. I want to also uh, thank Suzette Kent and her work as the federal CIO and the work of the federal data strategy team uh, who's outlined an actionable plan for the federal government on the steps we need to be taking. They released the uh, FY20 federal data strategy action plan, which is the first in government and it has 20 actions. And there are six actions that each CDO at our individual agencies will be taking, which are these foundational steps to implement data strategies and data governance. Uh, many for the first time. So we'll be focused on those activities and look forward to talking to you about it today. What is your sense of what the data, uh, the Chief Data Officers Council can do as an institution to add value to those individual CDOs to execute on the data strategy and, and, and the uh, action plan? Sure. Well, so uh, just speaking from individual experience, you know, sometimes you're when you're starting as an individual CDO, you, what you really need to focus on is how are you going to establish that position Get a, get a seat at leadership table to drive the strategy. Uh, and so I think in each case, it'll be a little bit different. At USDA, it was establishing our enterprise data analytics platform and tool set and integrating data and providing decision support tools. Uh, I think each agency CDO is gonna have to answer that question for themselves about those one or two things. And we wanna support them in doing that. But we also have these common 
uh, individual agency actions that each one of us has to take. Answering what data or machine learning is needed to answer agency questions when and where they need it. Uh, what do we need to do to ensure agencies have the staff uh, and the data acumen to fully take advantage of those tools. Assessing our data management maturity uh, and what uh, steps we need to take to improve data quality and data stewardship. All of these are individual capacities, but as we build those individual capacities, we'll also be building capacities to, to collaborate and work together on uh, key problems where, uh, again, collaboration is going to be needed with our data assets and our analytics. So, What are you hearing either formally or anecdotally about what your CDO colleagues are, are doing, successes they're having in implementing the provisions of the, in the Evidence Act, the data strategy, and the action plan? I think for those that are in the new positions, they are looking for that one or those one or two things where they can really have an impact in their agency, and they're they're translating the federal data strategy actions into business value. Uh, I think uh, again, this is uh, foundational work, and it is uh, at, at the beginning stages for some of the agencies that are, that are have that new uh, look at at their data. But they've they've started their data governance boards. They have engaged in leadership and answering questions, and then they've begun developing solutions. And we've been working uh, every week to begin having conversations about how we continue to improve. What's your sense of how to measure the success of the council? Current and former members of some of the other CXO councils have told me over the years, I got a lot out of it, I didn't get as much out of it, I didn't get anything out of it, and so on, as far as assistance in execution of my responsibilities in that job. How will you, at the end of your tenure, whenever that is, decide we did a good job at, at the CDO Council of delivering the resources and the support network that the CDOs needed to do their jobs better, Ted? I think it'll be uh, measured in part by how successful CDOs are in establishing themselves in their organizations and their programs. And we've seen uh, a lot of successes at agencies already to date, as we've seen in the private sector with that happening. And I think to the extent that that uh, takes hold in all of our agencies across government, that'll be a measure of success. Uh, another measure of success will be building upon a lot of the work that's been done in collaborating across agency lines. Um, you know, building on the foundational work of um, uh, projects like the Tiger System, where the U.S. Geological Survey and Census Bureau uh, created the first map of roads, boundaries, and hydrographic features. Uh, other six, re more recent successes with um, the work of Dr. Raj Chetty and the Opportunity Insights Project, where he and his team gained access to census tax and social security data to help them better understand key problems around e economic mobility, which wouldn't have been possible without federal data sharing agreements. Uh, and then also has a feedback loop into public policy. So looking for those opportunities, especially now during the uh, COVID-19, uh, where we see a need for rapid integration of data and collaboration across agencies on problems that transcend individual agencies. And, and I think that's pointing to some rapid learning, but it's also pointing to where uh, solutions uh, for the future will be possible. And I think the success of our ability to uh, create those solutions, to uh, rapidly ideate and rapidly learn uh, is gonna be uh, key and, and again, the federal data strategy is such a great actionable plan, uh, and, and we'll be monitoring the progress of, the, of those actions and, and completing them this year. Ted Kalk, the new chair of the Chief Data Officers Council, thanks for coming on the program. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks as always, Francis. Up next, an activity explosion at the Small Business Administration. Straight ahead on Government Matters, a look in under the hood at one of SBA's key organizations. You're watching ABC7.
Welcome back. The Small Business Administration will push out more money in the coming months if Congress passes another round of stimulus. The SBA has done more lending and more assistance in the past several months than it has for the last few years. Alan Gutierrez is the Associate Administrator for the Office of Entrepreneurial Development at the Small Business Administration. Alan, welcome. Thanks for joining me. What's the mission of your office? What are you doing to support small businesses during all of the, the pandemic and the response to it? Uh, thank you. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to be on on uh, uh, on with you. And certainly um, here at SBA, we are uh, uh, certainly 24 uh, seven, as, as you can imagine, in terms of helping small businesses and and all their recovery and, and um, helping them out through all the process. In regards to my uh, office, you know, Office of Entrepreneur Development, certainly a very key component uh, as it relates across the country to help entrepreneurs and small businesses start, grow, and expand. Um, and that's always been the key mission for us as it relates to the office and uh, providing that nationwide. But certainly now with the pandemic, um, you know, generally give or take we do a million of 1.5 million uh, assistance across the country but certainly that is uh, expanded even more during the last several months in terms of providing and, and, and helping small businesses across the country how, how have you scaled your work over the last couple of months given that you like other agencies have transitioned to a remote work environment and and, and so on how have you done kind of both at the same time, the explosion in response that you've had to do and the amount of businesses that you're working with at the same time as you're working in a completely different way, Alan? No, certainly. It certainly has been a, a pivot. Now, you know, obviously we see that right now in the recovery mode for small businesses in terms of thinking outside the box. And certainly for us, not only here at headquarters, but across the country, um, we've been uh, very fortunate uh, through the CARES Act that we got additional funding that provides, uh, was enabled me to really uh, provide that additional uh, resources and money to our one uh, over 1,200 offices across the country, which comprise of small business development centers, uh, women business centers, and the SCORE mentor uh, 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 300 offices across the country. So that particular network and partnership in coordination with us at SBA and our district offices uh, certainly enable us to really be, as I mentioned in the beginning, uh, really 24-7 to be available for small businesses during these last several months, especially. How do you go about keeping in contact with your customers, with the small business customers that you have, to make sure that you're continuing to be able to deliver what they need in a time like now? It strikes me that's probably a lot more difficult than it was two or three months ago, Alan. <laughs> It sure has. Uh, you know, certainly um, I, I've been really uh, impressed and really uh, heartwarming in terms of all the offices that provide all our technical assistance and counseling and availability uh, across the country. And, and and to be perfectly honest, you know, the, the typical model has always been brick and mortar, right? Come, come to our... Uh, counseling or come to our training seminars and we're going to have it here at this location and so forth. But certainly that is all completely different now. Um, it, it certainly has been uh, pushed uh, in a good way, I would say, of, of all our offices to really enable and use technology to the full extent uh, from uh, capabilities of webinars and, and different platforms that are enabling to really reach out to all the small businesses that are in need right now and, and really needing that guidance, you know, and that's the thing, a lot of anxiety, but certainly we've seen, we've seen a lot of a good handhelding approach for, for small business. And it relates to the PPP. If you look at it, like you mentioned, um, over 4.5 million already uh, small businesses that we've touched during, during, through the PPP program. 
What do you think of the changes that you just alluded to in the way that you're delivering to your customers? What do you think will stick after COVID's not an issue anymore? When people are not uh, afraid to come to live events, when people are not afraid to come to offices to see you face to face, is it possible you'll still continue to deliver some of those services virtually the way you're doing it now, just because you find out maybe your customers like to do it better that way anyway, or for any other reasons? No, that's a great question. Certainly, you know, we, we, we're seeing that in that aspect because it, it certainly um, it, it thrust us to, to think outside the box. And certainly for us, these last, uh, last couple of years has been a big emphasis in how to reach out to more rural and how to reach out to more underserved communities through our district offices, 68 nationwide and territories, through our, our 1,200 resource partners that provide that techno assistance. And I, and I really see this now as a... a part of the piece of the organization model of approach to be able to reach. And also, I think on the other side, on the flip side, uh, for individuals that um, now maybe have not used technology in the past or kind of used it, but not really engaged it. We've seen a lot of small businesses that are pivoting and understanding that, you know, yeah, they had a website, but it just gave them where their location was. Now it's like, I have a website, but I can do all, you can do all these things as a customer with me on my website, you know, and that's, and so we're seeing a lot of that in terms of that training and assistance and guidance. Alan, we have about 30 seconds left. What's new that you want to make sure people know that you can do, your office can do? Sure, I, I would say stay tuned. We're excited. We're close to uh, um, finalizing a pilot program that will be uh, reaching out to small businesses and helping them on the recovery mode. Uh, certainly, it's a vision of our administrator, Administrator Covita Carranza, in terms of now holding and really helping small businesses to recover and, and make that continuing pivot and be uh, next to them hand by hand. Uh, and helping them uh, survive and move forward. And even some that are now uh, entering into the entrepreneurship uh, spirit uh, to help them really uh, start uh, their business as well. And congratulations on the work you and your team are doing. Thanks very much for coming on. No, thank you. And, and one last thing, I would uh, recommend always uh, uh, stay tuned for us on SBA.gov. Certainly uh, uh, um, on a daily basis, a lot of information for small businesses to be available for them. Alan, thanks very much. Up next, cybersecurity standards for the future of the pandemic response. Straight ahead on Government Matters, the author of the cyber framework everyone uses has details. You're watching ABC7. Another round of extensions is coming for mandatory telework at federal agencies. The Merit Systems Protection Board says employees have to telework at least until July 3rd. Agencies are using the cybersecurity framework from the National Institute of Standards and Technology as their textbook to secure networks and data. Donna Dodson is Chief Cybersecurity Advisor at the National Institute of Standards and Technology. She's a finalist for a Service to America medal in the Safety, Security and International Affairs category. Donna, welcome. Thanks very much for coming on the program. As one of the, the movers and shakers behind the cybersecurity framework, what's your takeaway from how agencies have been using it during the pandemic response? Thanks so much for having me today. And um, yes, the cybersecurity framework really uh, offers federal agencies and industry the opportunity to prepare for events, even though um, people were not expecting to be teleworking at this time um, or for this length of time overall across the, the federal government. 
the cybersecurity risk management framework provides the right kinds of tools to prepare even for things that are unknown, like this extensive uh, period of time that we're teleworking. So it gives agencies the opportunity to be able to work, but still have those security measures in place, do that in concert with their business needs. Historically, has the idea of managing risk in the, in the cybersecurity area been difficult for agencies to wrap their arms around? And what's your sense of how the pandemic response has changed the risk appetite for agencies regarding cybersecurity? That's a very good question. And sometimes we want, tell me to do these two or three things and then I can get on about my business. I don't have to, to continue to worry about cybersecurity. Unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. NIST has a, a 50 year history of looking at a risk management approach to cybersecurity. Certainly federal agencies are very aware of the great work from um, Dr. Ron Ross and his team at, as part of the NIST uh, risk management program. And layering on top of that, the cybersecurity framework gives um, organizations, particularly um, federal agencies and industry, the opportunity to have a holistic approach, not just the technical folks, not just the, the CIO or looking at a particular application, but really that enterprise-wide approach. So it gives the opportunity for agencies to, to be prepared rather than uh, one, two, three, um, I'll do these three activities, I'll put in these three technologies, I'll be good to go. So I think federal agencies who have adopted the cybersecurity framework and this risk management approach have been prepared for the unknown, something like we're doing today. We're hearing lots of agencies talking about what they will do telework-wise after the virus response ends and when they could go back to doing what they were doing before, but may or may not do so. How does one go about keeping a, a strategy up to date given the dynamic changes in the threat landscape, changes in workplace environments, and so on. Strikes me that the risk management framework doesn't change, but the way one implements it or executes it does. Is that, am I on the right track, Donna? You certainly are. And, and agencies and organizations in general with a risk management approach need to continue to review, understand that changing threat landscape to be prepared, but because they um, have been able to identify their assets as the first step in the framework, they understand what they're trying to protect. As you bring in additional capabilities, you continue to work and um, you continue to work and and evolve your your approach for that evolving threat landscape we have a little bit uh, more than a minute left on a personal question what's your takeaway from the process uh, surrounding the service to america medals your selection uh, as a finalist there what's that mean to you and your team 
I am really humbled and honored to be recognized. I will say that um, th I work with some of the greatest people each and every day at the National Institute of Standards and Technology, and people come together there as a team. We are able to collaborate with industry because we listen to industry. Um, we are able to work with federal agencies because we listen and think about what their needs are. And I think it's that collaboration between government and industry, which is going to make our entire digital infrastructure across the nation um, secure and trustworthy so that we all can build on technology and, and use it in a way that helps each and every one of us in our daily lives. And that's really due to the team at, at NIST who work so diligently all the time to provide the best cybersecurity tools, guidelines, standards, and capabilities that we can. Donna, congratulations to you and your colleagues. Thanks very much for coming on the program. It's great to have you here. Thank you. Don't forget, if you miss an episode of Government Matters, you can find it on our website, govmatters.tv, and you get a preview of every one of our programs by signing up for our daily program guide. You just text GOVMATTERS to the number 22828. I'm back in two minutes. That's the latest from Washington. Join me weeknights at 8 and 11 on WJLA 24-7 News and next Sunday morning at 1030 on ABC7. Stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Thanks for watching. I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening. Our daily program is produced by Sharice Hanner and Ashley Gallagher. Christy Marriott leads our technical crew. Our web editor is Andrew Wagner. Government Matters was created by George Jackson. Visit govmatters.tv for articles, videos, and more, including our first feature-length documentary, The Dawn of Generation AI. Government Matters is recorded at WJLA-TV in Washington, D.C. Copyright Sinclair Broadcast Group.